Welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. Very sad day today as we all wake up to the news that more than 50 people are dead and more than 400 wounded after a gunman opened fire on a crowd of thousands at a country music festival on the Las Vegas Strip. That's according to police who responded to the horrific scene on Sunday night. They identified the shooter as 64-year-old Stephen Paddock, who is a local resident. He is dead after police confronted him on the 32nd floor of the Mandalay Bay Hotel, where he was shooting into the crowd. Police believe Paddock was acting alone. This is the largest mass shooting in United States history already. I imagine it will get larger as the day goes on. It surpasses the shooting at Pulse Nightclub in Orlando, which happened just last year. As of 9 o'clock this morning, police have not identified what kind of weapon Paddock was using in the attack, but witnesses say it sounded like an automatic weapon. And if you've seen any of the video or heard any of the audio of the shooting, uh, you certainly hear Rapid fire, rapid fire, rapid fire over and over again. If that's the case, that he used a semi-automatic weapon or a fully automatic weapon, uh, then that brings the legal context into into play. Some of those weapons are legal. Some of those weapons are not legal here in the United States. I think we have to start with the question of how does this keep happening in our country? How does this keep happening in our nation? Every few months, we're talking on this show, we're talking, we're watching television, we're talking about another mass shooting. Somebody gets a gun, somebody goes into a nightclub or to a baseball field, or in this this case, to a hotel room and shoots down onto the Vegas Strip. How does it keep happening? And the next question is, why don't we do anything to make it change? How come we don't sit and think about what what lever to pull, what lever to put our hands on to say, we're not going to have this go on in this country anymore. We're not going to, to wonder if we go to concerts or if we go to a baseball field, whether there's a shooter there who's going to cause mass, mass injury or death. So we want to start the show today with those questions, uh, and we want to hear from you. Uh, did you see what happened in Vegas and think to yourself, we've got to do something? If you thought that, what did you think we ought to be doing? What popped into your mind to say, this is how things could be different? Is it about guns? Is it about people who have guns? Is it about how people get guns? Is it about how we track who has guns? Uh, what are the things that you think we need to change so that this is not the narrative that we wake up to over and over and over again? 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put your comments there or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today and we will try to work your comments into the conversation. I really want to have a a, a frank conversation this morning, especially with those of you who support the Second Amendment and gun rights. Uh, That is as old a part of this country as any other institution, but it looks really different 
I think, in 2017 than it has perhaps in the entire uh, span of the republic. Is it time for us to rethink the way we defend and interpret the Second Amendment? Is that part of what we need to be thinking about? Uh, If you're a gun owner, uh, call and talk to me about how you feel when you see other gun owners behaving in this way. 313-577-1019, again, is the number to join that conversation. And joining us to help make sense of how this sort of happens and from the law enforcement perspective, how these things get dealt with uh, is Andy Arena. He's the executive director of the Detroit Crime Commission, former FBI special agent in charge for the Detroit division. Andy, welcome back to Detroit today. Good morning, Stephen. Yeah. So uh, let's start with, uh, I think the details of this shooting are really different than some of the others that we've dealt with. So somebody goes into a hotel in Vegas, goes up to the 32nd floor and starts shooting down into a crowd. Just from a law enforcement perspective, talk about how you even respond to something like that and and get to the scene and figure out how to make it stop. Well, it's obvious this this individual put a lot of thought into this. Um, you know, gaining a position of height as he did, um, you know, from from a sniper position, uh, you know, he could take out many, many people. I think that we teach people in these mass shooting uh, workplace violence type situations is, you know, run, hide, fight. But when, when you're in an open-air uh, venue like this and the, and the bullets are raining down on you, number one, you don't know where they're coming from. Number two, where do you hide? Number three, where do you run to because you don't know the direction of the bullets? So um, this, guy, this guy put a lot of thought into this. You know, when I look at that site, Stephen, you know, when we, when we go to a Detroit Lions game or we go to a, a concert at Ford Field, you see the security and the perimeter of the security is pushed out so far. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, an outdoor venue like this in the middle of a city with high rise, it's almost an indefensible position. And it's dangerous, I would imagine, for the responders as well. I mean, you, the, the, the natural response would be to come to the scene. The scene is, is what's vulnerable. And I would imagine that the police officers who showed up were as vulnerable as, as the crowd, at least at first. Uh, they, exactly. And so they're coming there. They're trying to save people. They're trying to protect people. But they're also trying to take this gunman out. So I'm sure it took a little while to figure out where the shots were coming from. Um, it appears to me that, that the Las Vegas uh, Police Department, the SWAT team, acted pretty quickly yeah. to neutralize this guy. But, you know, you mentioned the. You can hear the, the the sound of the shots. It's obviously an automatic, well, fully automatic weapon. It sounds to me like he's got some type of, of a drum magazine uh, because those are pretty long strings for for an automatic weapon. Yeah. And then there's a, a gap when when it looks like he's reloading or whatever. So uh, they were they were certainly putting themselves at risk, you know, coming to the scene. Yeah. Let, let, let's talk uh, about this distinction between semi-automatic and fully automatic weapons. I have to confess, I don't know enough about guns to know what that difference is, but there is a legal difference as well. Is that right? Yeah. A fully automatic weapon in the United States is uh, is illegal. You cannot sell, own, or possess one. So there are two ways people get them. They get it, they buy a fully, fully automatic weapon on the black market, or they take a semi-automatic assault rifle and you can't convert it. And it's actually not that difficult to do. There's actually a converter kit you can get, and uh, you can do it at home in your basement uh, if, if you have the, the wherewithal to do it. So 
it's not that difficult to to fully to convert a semi-automatic to a fully automatic weapon, but yeah. it is illegal. Yeah. Uh, this is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. My guest is Andy Arena. He's the executive director of the Detroit Crime Commission, former FBI special agent in charge for the Detroit Division. We are talking about the shooting yesterday in Las Vegas last night. Uh, more than 50 dead, uh, maybe more than 400 now wounded after a gunman opened fire on a crowd of thousands at a country music festival from the 32nd story of the Mandalay Bay Hotel. We are talking about this serial instance of mass shootings in this country. What do you think about what we ought to be doing in response to that? We have this conversation, it seems like, over and over again. Then we just go back to normal and then wait for the next one to happen. How do you interrupt that cycle? How do you determine to stop mass shootings uh, or the vulnerability for mass shootings in a country like ours? 313-577-1019 is the number on the phone. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put your comments there or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. We'll work you into the conversation. Lots of people already, uh, no surprise, want to participate in this conversation. Let's get started with Mary Ann in Macomb. Mary Ann, welcome to Detroit Today. Good morning. Hi, how are you? Um, good, thanks. 32 years ago this month, on um, what you guys call Devil's Night, I call Mischief Night. I'm from the East Coast. I was in the Springfield Mall in Springfield, Pennsylvania, and a woman walked in with a 22 caliber rifle, shot 10 people, killed two that day, another two died later. And I was 20 years old, and um, I saw everything. I had to jump over dead bodies to get out of the way. There was a bullet hole three feet above my head. And I've been saying since that time, it's not about taking guns away from people. It's about screening who has guns. Mm-hmm. I'm married to a federal law enforcement officer. I know I have a gun in my home, and I swore that I never would. But people need to be aware of the signs that people that have guns are giving off, that yeah. they know that something hinky is going on. And... They need to be aware that all is not right and good with this person, and they have access to guns. And they need to let somebody know, and don't be afraid that if they're wrong, that it's okay. But don't not say anything. But err on the err on the side of err on the, the side of caution. Yeah, Marianne, I, I I hear what you're saying. I, I want to ask you a question though. You you say that it's about the people. Uh, who have access to guns? How would you how would you deal with it on that end and and compare that, I guess, to what they seem to do in other countries, which is that they just don't have as many guns in circulation, and then they don't end up with as many shootings. Why why do you why do you put the onus on uh, dealing with people instead of the circulation of guns? Because it's funny because when my husband first got his job, we ha- already had kids. And we taught our kids what they teach them in, in countries like Sweden. If you are going to pick up a gun, you are going to aim it. If you are going to aim it, you are going to shoot it. If you are going to shoot it, you need to kill someone. So therefore, if you, do not, if you pick up your gun, you are going to kill someone. Mm-hmm. And you have to think through those steps. 
you are not picking up a gun just to play around with it or show it off or be cool. You are picking up a gun because you need to defend yourself and kill someone. Yeah. Yeah. Marianne, thank you very much for the call and, and for sharing that story, which I'm sure, as you say, 32 years ago, still is pretty vivid in your mind. In the arena, I want you to respond to what she's saying about it being about people and not guns. Well, I think guns are, you know, Stephen, I, I think when these when these situations occur, we focus right now on the guns. Guns are a big part of it. But to me, it's it's a much broader uh, problem. Mental health. The way we deal with mental health in this country is is uh, absurd, and I think that is a big a big piece of it. Uh, disenfranchised people, um, you know, how do we look at that? How do we deal with these people? So, if you look at um, Great Britain, uh, their gun laws are much different than ours. It's much diff- much more difficult to get a weapon. Mm-hmm. Obviously, there aren't that many weapons there. So what do the, the crazy people do, the terrorists or whatever? They get a car. Mm-hmm. They get a dump truck. Drive it into And they drive car. it into people. So it, to me, it goes beyond. Guns certainly do pay, play a big part of it in this country. Look, I'm a gun, gun owner because of what I did for my living. I, I pheasant hunt. And, mm-hmm. But I don't have an a automatic um, an assault rifle in my house. Right. Uh, Who so, need, I, I never yeah. understand why people, why anyone needs a gun like that. Yeah. So, you know, what I did do for a living uh, what I still do with the Flint water, you know, I have to have a, a, a weapon, uh, and I hunt. But uh, so, so guns are a part of it. I hate when we just focus in on the guns because to me, it's a much broader. What we've done in this country, particularly in this state, with respect to mental health issues, sure. is, is is abhorrent. Yeah. Uh, again, three one three five seven seven one zero one nine is the number on the phones. Let's go to Sadie in Detroit. Sadie, welcome to Detroit today. Hey, good morning. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm okay, thank you. I've been listening in, but the first time I decided to call in is when you asked about the guns and what are we doing and Mm -hmm. are we taking time to sit down and actually think about it. The first thing I thought of was if you are doing that, then you would contact your local Senate or legislator and let them know your ideas. And then I thought you can become famous (laughs) just by expressing how you feel. And then as I kept listening, you said that it was a more broader thing than the guns and how terrorists were just take their vehicle and ram it into individuals, then I thought, wow, this world is just as wild as it is. Mm -hmm. And what can anyone do about human behavior? And you talked about mental health and how we deal with it here. I don't think it's dealt with at all. I think these are all human beings who come from other human beings, who come from other human beings, who, who can say the dysfunction of the union, the dysfunction of individuals, the dysfunction of the human condition that who can really answer it, who can solve that. So so we can get to that. I don't see a president talking about that, addressing the nation every morning, saying, good morning, everyone. How are you feeling? (laughs) Right. What's going on with you? There's no unity in any way. So yeah, no, Sadie, I'm, I'm, I'm glad you called uh, and, and added those thoughts to the conversation. I think one of the things I really pick up uh, on in your in your comments there is is this frustration, this idea that one person, what can one person do? How can you have an effect on the policies that lead to either lousy mental health care for people or the un- unbelievable pro- proliferation of uh, of guns? The BBC is now reporting that uh, the gunman, Stephen Paddock, had in excess of 10 guns in his room and killed himself before police even arrived. I mean, the idea that that 
you have 10 guns, um, some of them automatic weapons. The idea that you bring those guns into a Las Vegas hotel and up to your room and, and are allowed to do something like this, there's something that's not, there's something that's not working. There's something that's not functioning the way it should be. Uh, Sadie, thanks very much for that call. Uh, let's go to Kevin in Detroit. Kevin, welcome to Detroit today. Hello. Hey, go ahead, Kevin. Hi, how are you doing today? Good, how are you? All right. My old thoughts was about the NRA, how they won't even let the police name the type of guns being used. They never want to blame guns for anything. And so nothing, I mean, after Sandy Hook, if nothing got accomplished then, mm -hmm. nothing will get accomplished here. It'll just be more of the same. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, that that lobbying effort, uh, Kevin, I think plays a huge role in all of this. Uh, Andy, Talk about the NRA. Are you a member of the NRA? Are you a supporter of the NRA as a as a gun owner? I, I am not a member of the of the NRA. Um, as I said, I've I own weapons because of um, uh, my job and then also uh, hunting pheasant hunting. Um, you, you know, I, you talk about the Second Amendment. Mm -hmm. um, I teach constitutional law, mm -hmm. and you know the the, the Second Amendment. Uh, to me, the Constitution is a living, breathing document that has to change with the time. So when the Constitution was written, when, when the, when the uh, Bill of Rights were written, there were 20,000 British troops right across the, the Detroit <laughs> River. Right. And, uh, you know, there was this need for everybody to have a musket to protect uh, protect their country. There was a need for national defense right. that fell to individuals. Right. So now we have a pretty strong military, I think, uh, safe to say. I don't know that we all, you know, need now— you know, there are people who collect weapons. There are people who, who uh, professionally shoot or competitively shoot. I, I get that. Um, but there's got to be a middle ground. There's got to be a way to, to limit uh, or track or, you know, make sure that uh, these weapons don't get into the wrong hands. So I, I am not a, a member of the, the NRA. And I, I don't, uh, as a law enforcement official, most cops will tell you, uh, they want these weapons banned or or controlled more strictly yeah. because they're the ones, Stephen. They're the ones who got to face this stuff on the street every right. day. Go out to talk to a Detroit cop. Right, they're coming up against AKs, and you know they're they're there with a with a nine millimeter. Um, they're outgunned 99 percent of the time. Right, right. Uh, Corey on Twitter says, "How can this be called quote not an act of terrorism?" Many sources are reporting it that way. Is it truly as simple as the skin color of the perpetrator? Andy, talk about how we how we define terrorism. This seems as uh, you know as horrific as any terrorist act I can think of. But is there a political motive? Right. I mean that that, exactly. that plays into it as well. Exactly. So from a from a a legal standpoint, uh, you're looking at the motives of. Not, you're not looking at the ends. You're looking at the motives. So you're looking at the motives of the person. And it's not to say that this won't be terrorism. It could be a right-wing extremist, a left-wing extremist. Who knows? Uh, but you're looking at the motives. Are they trying to get their message out there, change things politically? If it's somebody who's just mentally ill, who is, is suffering from delusions, and they go out, while the act is terror, you know, uh, causes terror, it's not defined as terrorism by law enforcement. Right, right. Uh, AK on Twitter says, let's not stigmatize the mentally ill. The overwhelming majority of folks with mental health issues never assault others. Good reminder there that uh, we are even among those who suffer from mental illness. We're talking about a distinct minority who 
bring themselves to this kind of uh, to this kind of behavior. Uh, let's go to Paul in Windsor. Paul, welcome to Detroit today. How are you? Good. How are you? Good. Uh, I'm going to say some pretty powerful things. And I don't want you to be thinking I'm not your neighbor and don't love Americans. <laughs> okay, but go ahead, guys, Paul. You guys got a problem. Okay, I got ants over there in Michigan. I lived in this border my whole life. So any debate about about uh, can the problem be solved is is really there, there's no debate necessary. The, all you need to do is look to the rest of the world. You kill them thirteen thousand a year with guns. And the top eight industrial countries are all under a couple hundred. So, mm-hmm. you know, all they got to do is look. You you already know the answers. The question is, how do you how do you make the political change to to get out of it? And uh, you know, I've been studying uh, the behavior of your of the gun and violence in the Middle East and America's behavior in the world. And the first point is is that uh, you guys got a war based economy controlled by the, your military. And they have a vested interest in ginning it up, keeping the fear going, telling everybody they need an Archie Bunker gun on the plane. And uh, this is this is insanity. You're gonna your budget for military is gonna approach trillion dollars in a few years. And meanwhile, you're you're you have all these problems at home when a guy like Barack Obama wants to help people that are sick. Okay. Yeah. These clowns like Bush are sick people. Then this military, this gun people are are funded and sponsored by these guys and they're going to keep ginning it up and ginning it up and there's no there's no end to it and these yeah. these sidebar discussions to get you off the uh, that there is a solution which is totally there shouldn't even be a debate there is no debate we know what's got to be done the question is to get the political it. change that's where we got to get the message and yeah. that's where i think the people of america got to hook up and link up and decide you're going to make a lobby and you're going to put these kids pictures uh, on there with their parents. Why? Because if it was my little granddaughter, God forbid, over here, my granddaughters, I'm going to do everything to see that it doesn't happen to yeah. your kids. And Paul, nonsense has got to end. Paul, I, I really appreciate the, the, the call and, and that perspective from across the river, uh, from another country, and the way that the, the, there are differences between the way we deal with these things and you do. Andy, he, what he's getting to is that there's, this is a cultural problem in this country, and and that goes even beyond the question of, I think, mental illness. Mm-hmm. It just goes to the the violence that's inherent in in America. We're we're in to a certain sense desensitized to this. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Sandy Hook, Pulse nightclub, uh, San Bernardino. These things happen. Uh, CNN and Fox News will be there reporting it around the clock, um, and then we move on, mm-hmm. and we seem to forget about it and until uh, it happens again, and then we're shocked and dismayed and uh, an outrage, and, yeah. Uh, yeah, an outrage. But uh, we don't ever seem to really come to grips with with. And as I said, to me, it's it's not just a gun problem; it's a holistic. We get we have societal societal issues, and it's there's no quick fix to this, but. A good start is at least talking about it. Right, right. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to continue our conversation about what happened yesterday in Las Vegas. We'll also talk about Detroit, which was recently named the most violent city in America. Stay with us on Detroit Today and stay with us on the phones, 313-577-1019.
news, music, culture, and community every day. Every day. Every day. On 1019 WDET, Detroit's public radio station. You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. My guest is Andy Arena. He's executive director of the Detroit Crime Commission, a former FBI special agent in charge for the Detroit Division. We're talking about what happened yesterday in Las Vegas. 50 people dead, more than 400 wounded after a gunman opened fire on a crowd of thousands at a country music festival on the Las Vegas Strip from the 32nd story of the Mandalay Bay Hotel. We're talking about this brand of terror in America. How do we combat it? How do we get to a place where people are not standing at a concert worried about whether someone with semi or fully automatic weapons is standing in a hotel room waiting to open fire on the crowd. 313-577-1019 is the number if you want to join the conversation. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page, put your comments there, or go to Twitter. And hashtag Detroit Today, we will work you into the conversation. Uh, Let's go to Tiffany in St. Clair Shores. Tiffany, welcome to Detroit Today. Hey, Stephen. Hey. Thank you so much for having this discussion. I sure. love listening to your show. Oh, thank you. Um, I have a, a lot of points I'd like to make, but I'm going to stick to two. Okay. Um, <laughs> one of them is the distinction between weapons. Um, I own a gun. Um, I own a revolver. It was something that I purchased after a really bad experience about 10 years ago. Um, I had threats against my life. I was a single mother. I had someone break into my home. Um I, I purchased my, my weapon. I went to learn how to shoot it, and I cried all the way home. Um, it wasn't something that I wanted to do. It was something I felt I needed to do. Uh, the types of weapons that are used in mass shootings, like the one we saw in Vegas last night, is a, a long step away from a revolver. Uh, it's an, it has to be an automatic weapon because uh, something like a revolver doesn't have a burst shot to it. Um, the other point that I wanted to make, though, besides distinguishing between weapons, is the screening process. When I went through the screening process to purchase my revolver, I don't remember. It was a long time ago now. It was about 10 years ago. But I don't remember it being um, extremely difficult. I had to be fingerprinted. I had to fill out a questionnaire. Um, I had to have uh, my background checked, which, of course, you know, there was nothing in there. But Missing from that was a more sociological, psychological component. Mm-hmm. Um, my degree is in psychology. I have friends that are in the field. And I know it's not about mental illness. It's about the way a person thinks, particularly when they're under stress, when they're faced with a traumatic situation um, or they're depressed. Those things are salient. They don't change. Yeah. And I really, really think that if we if we were to examine the way the application process is put together as far as what you need to fill out and what types of information you need to provide, we would be able to see things in people who are applying for weapons yeah. that are uh, warning signs, that are red flags. Right. Uh, Tiffany, thank you very much for the Thanks. call and the suggestion. Uh, Andy Arena, what about that? Uh, better screening of people who want to buy weapons. This is something that we've had a lot of debate about in this country. The NRA says no, and that seems to be the reason that we're, we never get to that space. Is that is that something that would work, though, to prevent these kinds of things? Well, and I think the caller's right. There is no psychological aspect to the screening process, and there there probably needs to be. But the question is, how do you do that? How do you what do that? What type of a test? I mean, psychological... 
uh, psychologists could never, if we had 10 of them in this room, they couldn't agree on what what screening process you right. would use. So right. I, I don't really know how that would work. Yeah, I don't, I don't either, but I, I feel like uh, uh, that upfront prevention is probably better than anything else. The idea of preventing people from getting the guns that they end up using for these things is probably where to focus. Tiffany, again, thanks very much for the call. Uh, let's go to Tom in Northwest Detroit. Tom, welcome to Detroit yeah, today. Yeah, good morning, both. Can you hear me okay? Yep. Well, anyway, my thought is this. There definitely needs to be, you know, tougher. Yep, Tom, I think we cut, we cut out there. All right, Tom, call us back. Uh, we'll try to get you back on. Let's go to Angela in Detroit. Angela, welcome to Detroit today. You there, Angela? Yep, I don't know that Angela's there either. <laughs> Let's go to Hugh in Canton. Hugh, welcome to Detroit today. Hi. Hey, Hugh. Hello. Yep, go ahead, Hugh. Oh, well, I just, you know, uh, kind of, I was actually, my comment was right in line with what you started talking about. People are, are sane until they pull the trigger. How do we have... Um, how do we, you know, you know, we've got gun clubs and all these people think that they're all, you know, well, whoever is insane with these guns uh-huh. is somebody other than our gun club people. And, and we're kind of like, you know, we don't have a, we don't have a predictive test for the future. Right. We don't know how people are going to respond. Um, it's a hell of a lot harder to kill somebody with a knife than it is to, get angry and 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 go home and get a gun and come back to work and shoot people yeah Hugh, I, um, I i think that goes to that that sort of fear factor that goes along with this the the, the fear that people have about where you go and how you uh, sort of carry yourself and how you sort of look around where you are because you just don't know uh, who has a gun and who may be on the brink of doing something really awful with that gun and and you know there is no real there is no real easy policy answer to that i think if you're going to have a society where we believe that that people have the right to to, to bear arms uh, you're always going to to be um, you're always going to be struggling with that that kind of uh, that kind of tension. Uh, Andy Arena, I want to uh, change the subject just a little bit here. Talk uh, about Detroit crime statistics. We saw last week uh, the yearly st- crime statistics uh, uh, announced, and Detroit was on the top of the pile of, of violent cities. Yet again, I'm always a little skeptical about these rankings. Now, I I know the numbers are the numbers, and it's you know you can sort of mix them up, I guess, any way you want. Um, but the idea that Detroit is quote unquote more violent than a city that's just behind it, or less violent than than another, I think it's difficult to draw those kind of conclusions from these numbers. Yeah, and I. Now, having spent 24 years with the FBI, I'm not bad-mouthing my former agency, but I've never put a whole lot of stock in these FBI crime reports because, and it's not a fault of the FBI, they're reporting what numbers are given to them. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, in the case of Detroit, and I think that if Chief Craig was sitting here next to me, he would would agree with me that the Detroit Police Department's record management system uh, up until this point has not been the best. Yeah, they've had some problems with that system. Now they do have a new system they're they're putting online right now, but there are cities out there um, that I believe know how to cook the books. They they know how to to manipulate the numbers, and so the FBI is going to rank these cities by the numbers that they're given. 
And so I've personally, I've just never, never put a whole lot of stock in those in those reports. To me, it's more on the ground, local. I mean, how do you feel? What are you seeing? To me, that's kind of um, the real judgment of how, how you judge uh, the, the crime, the crime rate. So so do you feel like I mean, I think Chief, Chief Craig, if he were sitting here, would talk about the progress <clears throat> that they're making in Detroit and that it is, in his judgment, a safer city than it was just a few years ago, certainly than it was before he got here. Do you share that assessment of what's going on? I, well, I, you know, to me, I'm always very, I'm a hesitant guy. Uh, you know, I'm very conservative. So when I look at it, there's a lot of work to do. We have to make the city much safer than it is. But in my estimation, it is safer than it was. And we are certainly trending in the, in the right direction. Now, uh, you know, Chief Craig needs more people. He needs more training. He needs more equipment. Uh, you know, this this record management system that they're putting online, I think, is going to be a big boost for for the department. But I, personally, I think it's much better than than we were in the past. But we, we still have a lot of work to do. Yeah. Again, three one three five seven seven one zero one nine is the number on the phones. Uh, you can also go to the WDET Facebook page, put your comments there. We'll work you into the conversation. Brian on Facebook says, we are more concerned with the right to bear arms and with not spending taxpayer money on this problem than we are about solving the problem of gun violence uh, in America. Uh, thank you very much for that comment, Brian, a good reminder. Um, let's go to Tim. Tim in Detroit. Welcome to Detroit Today. Hi. Um, you know, people say this is a, a mental issue. It, it's not a mental issue. We, we have to look at American history. We, we are one of the most violent civilizations that ever existed. The mortality rate for white people is going up. That means more white people are dying, mm -hmm. but they're still blaming black folks. We we have to we have to solve this problem, and talking around it mm -hmm. and making it, it's not going to help because white people we hear about the black folks that's being killed, but every day white people in these little communities and suburbs are killing each other. But when they didn't do anything about it in Sandy Hook when they killed those kids, mm -hmm. they're not going to do anything. Yeah. It's all about money. Yeah, Tim. But we have we have to be honest, and we we, we just talked to. Around the issue. Yeah, Tim. Thanks very much. Yeah, th thanks very much for the call, Andy. That that racial aspect mm -hmm. uh, to to this conversation. I mean, race influences everything here in America in some way. It does. It does touch on this issue in the sense that of, of where we concentrate our attention on violence. Uh, the idea that urban, um, you know, urban centers are the place where we are most fearful about. Violence, most concerned about who uh, who's breaking the law, who's who's going to kill someone else. Here, I think in Vegas, we have a really interesting and sort of counter narrative uh, about what violence looks like in this country. This, as I said at the top of the show, will go down as the most violent uh, incident in American history. Um, how do how do you how do you in the FBI how do they make sense of that racial dynamic? How do they make sense of uh, the way in which the culture, I guess, wants to see the problem versus the way it might really be? Well, I think going back to our our discussion we were just having about the crime stats in the city of Detroit, you know, obviously the city's on a rebound. The last thing the city needs is for for, for this type of um, bad publicity to come out, but you know why does it catch everyone's attention? Well, city the, the city of Detroit is a predominantly African American 
a minority city. Yeah. And so, you know, in some people's minds, that's like, well, that's, you know, that's par for the course. The reality is, you know, violence doesn't, is, is colorblind. Mm-hmm. It doesn't, you know, and so you're, you're going to be looking, if you look at, look at the Pulse uh, nightclub, look at San Bernardino, look at Sandy Hook. If you look at the, the mass shootings uh, in, in this country, that really race does not uh, play, play a, a part into it. So we got to get beyond it. You know, Stephen, it's, to me, it's from a constitutional standpoint, that's mm-hmm. what everybody argues about the second amendment. Mm-hmm. You, you, you're, from a constitutional standpoint, you've got to balance the individual civil liberties of the people versus the overall protection, national security of all of us. That's right. And to me, it's getting a little bit out of whack. I was going to say, I mean, that's not a that's not a conversation with regard to the Second Amendment that we have a whole lot. There, yeah. there seems to be a heavy emphasis on the individual right that's in, involved there and not much on this sort of collective safety argument. Exactly. I teach constitutional law, and mm-hmm. so that I love to have that debate with people. You know, you're talking about the Second Amendment, but what about the rights of all of us? What yeah. about the right to be safe and secure in your, in your, in your place, in your property, in your lives? Yeah. Uh, that somehow is, has been pushed off the, off the uh, screen. Yeah. Let's go to Ken in Port Huron. Ken, welcome to Detroit Today. Hi. How are you doing? Good. A uh, couple different issues, I guess. One is you know, we certainly have a gun culture, even though most Americans uh, would, would like to uh, see much less of that. The, there's a strong, powerful hold on that. I'm a psychiatrist, and uh, from a mental health standpoint, these aren't mental health issues. Uh, the people that do perpetrate these kind of events uh, are lone, isolated people who never come into or rarely come into contact with uh, you know, mental health. Uh, they, they don't seek out mental health help. They don't identify it for themselves. And, and I would have to say that somehow can we work on the cultural end of it, but Maybe not. And there's kind of a one-upsmanship, you know, that when you make the news for this kind of event, well, the next person that comes along needs to do something a little more dramatic. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Ken, I'm I'm curious. You you seem to sort of take some emphasis off the mental health aspect here as as a as a psychiatrist. Can you talk a little more about what you're what you're getting at? Well, the the people that we treat that have serious identified psychiatric issues. As I think a previous caller said, those people are not violent. Those are the ones that that have violence, uh, you know, befall on them. Uh-huh. Um, and patients with very severe conditions like psychosis and schizophrenia and so forth, uh, that doesn't lead people into these kind of uh, events. Uh, many of these people that that get involved in these kind of uh, situations are. Probably there's some uh, smartness uh, behind them, intelligence. They, this uh, shooter in uh, Las Vegas, they said he did a lot of planning and and uh, all you know in order to uh, to do what he did. I, um, most of these people have a long history of uh, sort of antisocial uh, feelings, so that. Uh, they're not going to come into the kind of uh, mental health care that we think about uh, for people with depression or other conditions. Right, right. Ken, thanks they're very isolated, much. They're isolated. They're alone. Yeah. It's a sad life. Those yeah. people. Th- thanks very much for that insight, Ken. I, I really appreciate your expanding uh, on that point for us here. Uh, let's uh, go to Dolores in Oak Park. Dolores, welcome to Detroit Today. <laughs> 
Hi, Steve. How yeah. are you? And Good. thank How you for you? taking my call. Uh-huh. Thank you. You know, I'm, I'm listening to everybody, and, and you know, I mean, I, I think I'm in alignment with what most people are saying, but I honestly, you know, I've always seen the the, the mentality of just not this country, but kind of the world as being a spiritual problem, not you know, and when I say spiritual, I'm not talking religion because we got plenty of that. You know, and if, mm-hmm. if religion worked, then I mean, everybody going to church, we would just see a whole different uh, um, uh, outcome. But I look at it spiritually in terms of how we feel connected to one another. You know, I if if I'm looking at you and I see you as being other, and and I fear you for whatever reason then, you know, I go, I'm going to protect myself against you. And somehow people feel that their guns or whatever is, is the answer and that we need to guard ourselves against one another. And I just see it as a spiritual problem. So until we do a mental paradigm shift as, as a world and definitely as a country, then I think you're going to continue to see these kinds of things uh, take place. Yeah. I just, I don't know. I don't yeah. know what the answer to that would be, but I think we mix spirituality and in terms of that with religion, so we say, okay, you know, my God says whatever, and um, I don't yeah. know. Dolores, I, mean, I think that's know, a really, I mean, that's a really interesting and sort of emotional way to, to, to think about this, and I'm glad you called to inject that into the conversation. I think it is about how we think of each other and how we treat each other, and we've got to get to a space where, uh, these things are just not acceptable where we don't think uh, all of the the factors that lead to this are okay. All right. Andy Arena, uh, executive director of the Detroit Crime Commission, former FBI special agent in charge. Before I let you go, quickly, Flint, uh, you are still knee-deep in that investigation. Are we going to have new announcements sometime soon? I think it's a little more than knee-deep. I mean, obviously we've got some folks that, that have been charged. We've got some hearings going on right yeah. now. But the investigation continues. Yeah. We, we've got a lot of stuff that we're still looking at. But I'd, I'd like to have it wrapped up this year um, and get some answers for the people of Flint. Yeah. Okay. Thanks very much for being here on Detroit today. My pleasure. Up next, we're going to talk about a new way of thinking about the future of youth here in our region. Stay with us on Detroit Today.